Talk Mice, a podcast collaboration of KBIA and Missouri Business Alert. I'm Sue. I'm Kara. And I'm Bita. So we have a show for you today packed with a lot of content surrounding one topic in particular, apps, apps, and apps. All those fun little applications and useful applications that we use on a day-to-day basis on our phone from Spotify to Apple Music to Uber. We have a whole boatload of topics. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Kanye West album that just dropped. First of all, he changed the title three times before he officially released it. I thought it was more than that. I thought it was more than three. It was, ori- oh, it was originally <laughs> It was originally So Help Me God. Then it was Swish. Then it was Waves. And then officially it was named The Life of Pablo. But it was it's highly anticipated album. I mean, we've been waiting for this album to drop. I mean, I have for over a year now. And, uh, you know, when it was re- he originally released it in Madison Square Garden, he sold out the entire arena. He featured his fashion show. He sold t- actually sold tickets to this as if it was a concert. And he had like a listening party. And he had the this whole... Was, was this part of New York Fashion Week? It, that it, it was, that it was a this? kickoff. Yeah, oh, right. it was... Okay. Definitely. It was before all of it. It was the Friday before all the fashion shows really started. But it was kind of like a segue into fashion week. So I thought that was a a new, interesting way to promote new music. But what I thought was interesting was it was originally set out to release on the 11th, which was a Thursday. It didn't get released till Saturday at midnight. And it was after, you know, he he's Kanye, so he changed a bunch of stuff. He It was originally a nine-track album. He turned it into a 17-track album. Um, it was a long album. It's a long album. <laughs> yeah, I was just scrolling Talk up and up album. and up, and it yes. was just there. Yeah. It's all there. But the thing that's interesting is he only released it on Tidal. And here I was for three yeah. days between Thursday and Saturday, I, I was scrolling on Apple Music or Google Play, whatever, all the apps I have, and it wasn't being released on any of them. But then it was like all over Twitter that he released it on Tidal, and that's the only medium he's releasing it on. Mm. So I wanted to bring that to the table and talk about that with you guys. How Do you guys use Tidal? What do you know about Tidal? I've never heard of it even once before Kanye dropped this album. Really? Like, no, like it was yeah. a complete new thing for me. And granted, I'm not really that involved in this kind of exploration and then finding new apps, especially music-wise. I stick with the ones that I have and I'm happy with it. But that was a, a very new thing. I'm like, okay, I guess now I need to go download it. Which I did, yeah. and I deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> right, because the subscription is, you get a month free, which is pretty common with like all premium streaming music services like Apple Play or yeah, Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify. You know, you get a month or week for free or something. So Tidal has that, but the option is like it's either a $9 subscription a month or a $25 subscription a month if you want, like, it's called Hi-Fi. I think it's, like, a high-quality, extremely high-quality streaming. So what's interesting is his album sales, he hasn't even released his album, period, for money. And people are joking and saying he's gone gold, he's gone platinum, but on his pirated album. So Hmm. people are more into downloading his album for free because who wants to pay $25 a month on top of Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Play when all those have more of a variety? And what I'm confused about is I think this was a big-time promotion for Tidal, and this is a company that's owned by Jay-Z, and it's an artist collaboration. You know, they want to give more power to the artists and not to record labels, and I get that. But how... I mean, the re- the way that Kanye is going about promoting this album is he's saying, okay, this is my album. It's released just on this. He's I'm never releasing my music on Apple. 
Which is funny because he has an iPhone. Just such a bold <laughs> move. I know. He has an iPhone. His whole family has free iPhones. So I don't oh, know why. Nice. And then, but then he, say, he has this thing that he used to do called Good Fridays, where he releases a track every single week for a certain amount of weeks. And this year, he said he has 40 tracks with Kendrick Lamar that he wants to, to release once a week every Friday. And they're only being released on Tidal. Dang. So that's kind of in- interesting because people who really want this access will get it. But I personally, I'm waiting to delete my free title subscription by the end of this month. Pay $25 a month just to hear that one track. Just to I hear, mean, yeah. how, uh, are we aware of any money transactions that took place between Tidal and Kanye for the fact that this album is exclusively released on this platform? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's got to be something, right? Like, there's got to be more than just, quote-unquote, collaboration between artists. Exactly. Or, you know, there's got to be some money involved in this. More than the relationship yeah. with him and jay-z and beyonce yeah, exactly um, yeah kanye right. relationship with himself Who are as we all know he, he loves geniuses <laughs> but in, in one way or another but mm-hmm. you know still i think money would but how smart is that i mean when when most of your listeners are young they're they're listeners of urban music most urban music is released on free mixtapes and i'm not saying all of it is but the big culture is free mixtapes a lot of artists mm-hmm. start with free mixtapes they release on SoundCloud, yeah. Right, SoundCloud, The Mm -hmm. Weeknd, which is a huge, huge artist now, he released his three, in my opinion, best albums for free as mixtapes. So how are you going to navigate that? Who can actually afford $25 a month for a streaming service that doesn't even have most alternative or most hip-hop or most even pop artists on there? How are you going to get that going? Mainstream music really isn't available on Tidal, and people are so very used to going to Spotify and going to other platforms Mm -hmm. for those music that they're paying for the most part, nothing for. Mm. And all of a sudden asking, I mean, we're going to go with the lower bar, which is $9 a the month, nine, which is right. still quite a lot. Yeah. Which is a lot for how much you're getting compared yeah. to Spotify. Mm-hmm. I'd rather pay. And with Spotify, if you're a student, you get it for $5 a month. I've never even touched Title Up until this point in time, I haven't really even had an interest to do so. I'm pretty devoted Spotify user. I've used Apple Music, but even Spotify, I, I have to say, you know, this isn't like any pitch to Spotify or anything, but yeah, um, no, I, no I <laughs> probably use Spotify for at least three, four hours a day. I'm always listening to music. Yeah. I'm always mm-hmm. listening to music or podcasts. If, if I'm listening to music, it's on Spotify and it's gives me the widest variety. It's the most accessible, the app I really like. It's not wonky. Apple Music, I've actually really had a problem with the interface and just the fact that, hey, it's another thing to pay money for. It's $10. There's no student discount there. And yes, there was the thing months ago where Taylor Swift was saying, oh, I'm pulling out all of my music from Spotify. I'm going to go to Apple Music because to, to make a statement about how Spotify does a really not so great job about giving livable royalties to their artists. And that's one thing to consider. But yeah, I mean, with Tidal, the fragmentation of this market where there are just now all of these different apps, it makes you want to chuckle and say, what else is going to come up? Yeah. Is this going to become fragmented by the genre? Is Tidal going to be the home of hip-hop and R&B and urban. Is Spotify still going to be the hub for indie and a lot of the pop that we consume? What's Apple Music going to go into? But (laughs) who is going to pay for each and every single one of these, especially when these apps are used so intensely and so primarily by younger people? 
that raises a really good point because why can't we just have a comprehensive platform? Why does thing why do things need to be all separated onto different things that you have to pay double, triple, quadruple the fare that you right. originally don't even want to start out paying exactly. to consume the music? Okay, I want to do a suggestion improv money bet here, as in, would you bet your money on title? I want to hear. Although I feel like I already know the answers coming from you two, but I want to hear the result of this. Hell no. (laughs) Hell no. I'm waiting to delete my app. Yeah. I'm waiting to delete title because... I already did. Right. And I mean, honestly, the only artist that has his music exclusively on title, as far as I know, is Kanye, the most, Mm. like, demanded artist. Because, like, I know Rihanna, Drake, they all have their music on title, but they also have their contracts with Vivo, and they have their contracts with Apple Music. Like, I can access all their music on Apple Music. Mm. So... I'm only losing the life of Pablo on my phone on a device with title, but hopefully it'll get released physical copies. That's a gr- I mean, to me, it's a great album. So I'm looking to own it. And I think with our generation, perhaps we were raised in a generation where we want to own our music because iTunes, we always were able to buy mm. music or, you know, we watched our parents either have LPs or vinyls or tapes or cassettes or CDs. They've all evolved, but we've always owned the music. So mm-hmm. the fact that we're streaming also freaks me out and it makes me hesitant to pay because I, at the end of the day, I want to be able to own it in 10 years or 15 years because that's just, I don't want to worry about streaming Life of Pablo when I'm 35. I want to mm-hmm. just have it in my house. <laughs> so I think this how, how we've shifted from ownership to streaming is to renting, in to a renting, way. Yeah, exactly. Like You're not renting. buying houses anymore. We're renting houses. Exactly, yeah. and it's the same kind of mentality for mm-hmm. a lot of things that we consume. And are you going to bet your money, Kara? I agree with Beta. I love the feeling of actually owning music, even though back when I was 12, converting all of those uh, CDs onto iTunes and loading them onto my uh, first-gen iPod video. That was Wasn't a little frustrating. <laughs> but it was you know, kind of exciting, and you knew you had a backup. You, you own it. Yeah. But at the same time, I really enjoy having access to a streaming service that lets me learn about new music. That's part of the joy for me, learning about new things. I have some classic stuff that I've been listening to for years in my 22-year-old life. <laughs> but... Title is really going to have to step it up in terms of the exclusivity of their releases if they're really serious about pulling people in and not just running off of the millions that Jay-Z has. I so, agree. So you're hopeful in, in one way or another. I, I'm, I'm I'm a, a, a little they, more hopeful, not hopeful, but like, you if, know. If they sustain the hype. Yeah. And, and I want to even throw this out too to our listeners. Feel free to contact us on social, email us. Yeah, let um, us know. What let you us think. know. Yeah, we want to know too because Maybe it's a wild, wild west of, of <laughs> the wild, streaming wild apps. West. <laughs> wild, wild west. I liked your accent when you said that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's hard to pay for something when you don't see it and streaming becoming sort of like that. It's also hard to pay for something when you don't see the money changing hand. I don't Mm. know about you guys. I mean, like, I'm okay with credit card because I feel like I have a physical card at least and I'm, like, swiping and it's a form of giving money to someone else. Like, it's such a usual thing. However, though, like, with this whole digital payment thing and all the apps that come in for that, I mean, just naming a few Apple Pay being one of... The big ones that a lot of stores, more than I had expected, even in just this teeny tiny town of Columbia, Missouri, has adopted that, right? As well as Uber, which I used extensively everywhere that Uber is out there available for me to use. And it's, it's wonderful in a way, but it's also somewhat scary, I would say. 
Yeah, so Sue, you just mentioned Uber. That's another app that's had a lot of buzz surrounding it recently. There are quite often a lot of problems surrounding that and not necessarily involved with the payment method. But I feel like Mm -hmm. the reason that people are trying to figure out what might be something wrong with this app has a lot to do with the unusual payment method that it has, which is contradictory of people's usual habits, you know, contradictory of what people have been used to paying, which is paying cash and at most paying with cards for the past forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and up till now, none of that is even involved at all in this process, which if you think about it, it's quite mind blowing. I'm, I'm a millennial myself and just imagining going out to buy something completely wallet and completely cashless is still scary. I'm going to admit to that. Like it's, it's not that I, I'm just used to it and I still I'm in awe. It's quite scary sometimes. Yeah, I'd say that using it kind of feels a bit like cruise control. with your phone. I used it a lot this summer when I lived in Minneapolis and I loved it, but it was still very awkward to think that by the time my driver already got there, payment was already going to be processed all the way once the ride was completed. And I I would say most of the time I would still give my driver a cash tip. I know that's frowned upon. I do. Wow. Um, Okay. And I know Uber says that is not something you have to do at all. It's almost kind of discouraged. Yeah, they don't encourage you to do that. Yeah, I just, I like to tip. I I worked in a service industry at one point in time, you know, a few summers ago, waitress. And, you know, from there, you definitely even appreciate more tips. And Mm -hmm. even though that's a little bit different of a story, I would see how cheap the rates were. And, you know, if a ride was like $5, I felt especially compelled to do that. But I think it was also a sort of satisfaction of having some sort of real transaction. Yes. Something that felt real. To, to legitimize the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we, I didn't just take a friend's car as a ride. <laughs> yeah. But, like, this is an actual business that took place, which, mm-hmm. I mean, it has been. It's always been growing. And, I mean, if I'm not mistaken... Uber has been in Colombia for a while now, and mm-hmm. it was a, quite a debate when it first tried to come in. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sure people have utilized it very much, quite often. Yeah, De- Definitely. In the beginning, there were problems with conflict with city ordinances because the drivers were not licensed as taxi drivers. And just a couple weeks ago, I, I finally saw an Uber driver who had his light on, you know, white out in the open for anyone to see. And I thought, OK, you know, yeah, now things are moving along a little. But I think for me, it brings up a question of security, too. Um, when I first put my card into the app, when I first downloaded it this summer, it made me a little, I don't know, it, it worried to a degree. And I, and I don't know why. Tell me if that's weird. No, it's not weird because I was totally there with you. And it's not just Uber is one app, but Venmo is another app that does mm-hmm. money transaction. And there are other apps that are tracking your bank account activities. One of those examples is Mint, which I downloaded a while back and deleted for my phone storage space issue. Mm-hmm. But when I put my card information and bank information into Mint, it basically tracks that whether or not all my activities on the back end is looks normal and is there any kind of false activities involving my card. And I agree. It was scary. I was like, am I paying something by entering this information in? And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to my money, which is kind of the real concern when you don't see the money. It's not physically in your hand. Mm -hmm. And another thing is, like you said, when you're like cruise controlling through your life with this phone, then the security of the phone is so important because 
if you lose something, or if you lose some information, or simply say if you lose your phone and that's going to be picked up by someone else, how is all of this information going to be protected? Can they go into my Uber and just start? Besides all of that password protection and all the other protections that you may have on your phone, but can they just unlock my phone and get into my Uber and use my card and do rides? I'm not sure if that's ever happened, but I wouldn't be surprised if it has. No, exactly. And if you're someone who, say, has your password protect go on after fifteen thirty seconds, you drop your phone, you lose it, and there's still a window of time where someone can get into your phone. Essentially, your whole life. But another thing that is strange, if you think about, so we don't really think twice about going and using our debit card or credit card at a retailer. Like Walmart or Target, right, right, right. and then just a few months ago, Target had their big data breach. Exactly, and it's not the first time that it happened. It's happened continuously and、like, multiple times.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even as quote unquote digital natives, at least for us too,、mm-hmm. it, it makes us nervous to be、oh, using something on our phone. Absolutely, it, it still it still feels like a toy to a degree, even though it's a very powerful toy that unfortunately we rely on, fortunately or unfortunately, rely on so much in our lives. I think you're demonstrating such an interesting scenario, which is to every generation, millennials included, there will be new technological advancements. There will be new things to come out that scare us. You know, for older generations. Debit cards and credit cards may be that it seems scary, even though for us it's completely normal. But then for us, using our phones to pay for certain things still feel like it's odd. It's not something that we used to do. And it's funny because I was having this conversation with a friend of mine as in, what's the kind of the world of technology that my next generation, the generation of my children, are going to be living in? And she said, when we are born. Kind of knowing how to use Microsoft, you know, it was never a question asked. You know how to use Microsoft Office, and then you start using social media, and all of those technological advancements just start rolling in. She said, "For our generation, they're going to born knowing how to code. They'll just start、mm-hmm. coding since childhood. Like that's just the trend, the next、mm-hmm. step." Which I thought was so very fascinating because I could totally see that happening.、Mm-hmm. And they do have、uh, HTML and CSS picture books for babies. So <laughs> wow, see, we're already there.、Yeah. You know, we're we're almost there. So I'm honestly for them using phones to pay may just no longer be that big of a deal. It will just be something absolutely normal. But by that time, there'll definitely be something new that emerge、mm-hmm. that make people wonder, huh? Is this safe? Is this secure? Yeah, and, and security has. Been something that has been really paramount lately has come up a lot. So while we're on the topic of phone safety, recently there's this big breaking news about the Justice Department being very frustrated in kind of this battleship <laughs> with the phone company Apple. Essentially, what the Justice Department wanted to do is they want to unlock one of the iPhones of one of the attackers in the San Bernardino killings.、Um, however, they demanded Apple to unlock that phone for them, but was refused by Apple to do so, and this created some sort of conflict. Conflict between the two parties involved, which I thought was an interesting news. As in, you know, Apple stand on this especially, and we got a letter from Tim Cook,、um, being the CEO of the company. And Kara, I know that you have the letter on hand, and you can tell、mm-hmm. tell 
you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so as Sue said, uh, definitely Apple and Tim Cook have made a very public and very vocal stand against these requests from the DOJ and the FBI for access into the phones, one of the phones from one of the San Bernardino attackers. And I have a little bit of the letter here. I'll I'll read a bit of it because I think it's interesting to hear and we can kind of chew on it a bit. But, you know, this ties again in again with what we were talking about earlier with Uber and the other apps and insecurity in our in our lives are on our phones. And that is what in some one regard it seems like Apple is caring a ton about. So we'll address that first. I'll read this really quickly and then we'll go in further. So in the first part of the letter titled The Need for Encryption, we have smartphones led by iPhone have become an essential part of our lives. People use them to store an incredible amount of personal information from our private conversations to our photos. Our music, our notes, our calendars and contacts, our financial information, as we were talking as, about yeah, earlier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and health data, even where we have been and where we are going. All that information needs to be protected from hackers and criminals who want to access it, steal it, and use it without our knowledge or permission. Customers expect Apple and other technology companies to do everything in our power to protect their personal information. And at Apple, we are deeply committed to safeguarding their data. Compromising the security of our personal information can ultimately put our personal safety at risk. This is why encryption has become so important to all of us. For many years, we have used encryption to protect our customers' personal data because we believe it's the only way to keep their information safe. We have even put that data out of our own reach because we believe the contents of your iPhone are none of our business. All right. So, yeah, I mean, that there is a very firm statement about We believe in your right to privacy. We understand how much of your personal life, every just the the richness of the information that is on just this device that you carry around in your pocket is absolutely incredible. And And breaching that is, in their view, a serious issue. It's dangerous for in many levels. You know, who would have access to this kind of information? Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with, you know, don't get offended by this DOJ, but it has nothing to do with you. This is, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, a declamatory behavior. You know, it's not so much I don't want to give this information to the Justice Department. It's Mm -hmm. more so I don't want to give this information out, period. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to make a compromise. Yeah. And and this is kind of the statement that they're trying to make. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. DOJ just became sort of the victim of such statement as in, you know, they didn't get what they want. But Apple is trying to make this very clear through refusing a big power player in this nation, you know, federal government um, department, that no matter who it is, we are trying our best to protect this information. Mm -hmm. And honestly, as a very big fan of Apple and as a user for many, many years, I'm very appreciative of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly a situation that comes off initially as historic and very, very bold for a tech company to make. Part of it is, you know, it seems that they do have a genuine concern for the data. Another part, you know, makes you think, well, is this also out of worry for losing market share, having stocks tumble if they say something else, if they create, if they so publicly do make an exception and people are upset that making such an exception will make data less secure in regard that the government 
may want to request more and more of it. And in this and in this post Edward Snowden era. Yeah. And have, we've definitely seen that happen before, right? We've seen that happen to telephone companies, AT&T and all others. We've seen that happening to Google as well for being demanded information and sometimes having to give out that information. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You know, it could very well affect the financial state of the company that's causing huge problems within just that realm, that it's too big of a risk for them to take. Mm-hmm. And that for them is doing something out of their own benefit as well. Mm -hmm. There was an article I was reading the other day in The New Yorker that was arguing that this is pretty much first and foremost a decision being made for business reasons. Mm. Absolutely. And and that gives a lot of food for thought there. And as I mentioned earlier, but it's a concern of people in this era. It's, It's a concern of people in our age group. I know for my siblings who are Generation Z, I know it, it seems like a lot of baby boomers are more on the opposition where they see, oh, I, okay, I, I, why not? You know, mm-hmm. this is a situation where where the people in question committed a mass shooting, an atrocity against American people. For moral Other, reasons, if mm-hmm. anything else, that information should be opened and being investigated by mm-hmm. the federal government. I know a lot of people would have that kind of thought as well, yeah. but... You know, it's just <laughs> some people take something take priorities here for me personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I know for myself there I'm still not 100 percent on where I feel I'm considering all of it. I for the sake of information security and sovereignty, I think that's always for the most part a good thing in normal situations for day to day people. I think that should be something that is secure and people are assured of. But it is it is a sticky situation. It certainly is and. And after so many times of trying to get into an iPhone without the password, just guesswork, the phone wipes itself anyway. Yeah. So uh, what are we dealing with here? (laughs) It's just incredible to think that the gateway to the universe in your pocket can even be unlocked anyway by a four-digit passcode. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have anything that you want to say about this topic, you're more than welcome to reach out to us because we want to hear more. We want to hear what you think. As you can see, you know, the three of us here aren't exactly sure how to put a handle on the situation either. So let us know. And that'll be all for today's program. We are Three Broke Mice and we highly appreciate you listening in and tuning in every other week. This is Sue. This is Kara. And unfortunately, Bita had to step out, but she certainly says goodbye also. And just give some suggestions, weigh in on what you think of this whole new market of streaming apps. And and cashless paying. Yeah. How this is really going to affect things and all about the apps, all about the tech, all about the things that we take for granted on our little devices. Mm -hmm. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye.